We have a lot of good things in our society and we have all these ills and their the solutions are there, you know, but I think we're kind of taught by the narrative that we're still looking for the solution. That was our dear friend, Adam Velturo, in an interview we recorded way back in December 2019. Yeah, that episode was one of our most popular. I think it was the first one to hit triple digit downloads. It kind of meant a lot to us. And in it, Adam helps us explore and understand nature therapy, deep ecology, the nature of the soul, and whether or not we're even going to survive and thrive in the 21st century. Yeah, all kinds of fluffy stuff like that. I know. I know. that, But that's how we roll. Right. On the, on the Here Together podcast, inspiring, hopeful conversations with smart guests like Adam who tackle the big topics. The biggest. Exactly. But hey, guess what, everybody? Our podiversary is coming up in less than a month. We're finishing our second full year of podcasting. And in recognition of that achievement and more importantly, all the support that you hotties have given us by listening, by sharing, by commenting, we're re-releasing this early episode. It's a meaningful one to us and not just because it was popular, but because of the memories of having, you know, Adam in our home studio back when we could have mm-hmm. people in the studio, uh, the way it deepened our relationship with with Adam and even the stories that Adam has told us since then of what listeners have told him, people mm-hmm. that he knows uh, who heard him on the podcast and even family members who heard him on the podcast. So it really exemplifies what part of what we've been hoping all along to do with this podcast to create, you know, ongoing conversations, not just in the podcast, but outside of the podcast. And, right. and this spark and inspire. Absolutely. This one did that. This one sparked and inspired. So we want to put it back out there and let those of you who are later adopters to this podcast listen to a really good early episode and we want to encourage those of you who maybe did listen to it two years ago to give it a re-listen because so much has changed oh my gosh, uh, in yeah. the culture since then does this have new meaning greater meaning lesser meaning for you now in 2000 and almost 22 than it did in, in 2019 yeah and I, in re-listening You know, I found so much value in it just for myself. I needed to be reminded of some things. And, you know, when Adam talks about the beingness piece of, you know, not thinking, not doing, just being with ourselves, with nature, you know, feeling ourselves as part of this planetary ecosystem, that for me just really opened my heart and reconnected my roots, you know, into something greater that makes sense. And I've needed that. So thank you again, Adam, for getting us straightened out because it was it's helpful. And I, you know, I could probably listen to it every six months just to, you know, re-up. <laughs> I could I could listen to just that that opening clip, mm-hmm. you know, kind of every morning as part of my part just of my waking up. Yeah. Get adjusted, yeah. Get adjusted. But anyway, let's get started. Hello, hotties. Welcome to the weekly podcast for people craving a sense of connectedness, a dose of empathy, a glimpse of the way forward, and an opportunity to engage. In this episode, listen for Adam's prescription for easy soul work and a recitation of a Walt Whitman poem. 
both are perfect for the cooler, clearer nights ahead. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. And this podcast is a labor of love. You know, we don't make any money from it. But what we would like in return is to know what these conversations mean to you, what these topics, what these uh, ponderings and meanderings and expertise mean to you. It would mean a lot to us to get your feedback and comments. Would you leave us a testimonial or review at Podchaser iTunes or on our website? You can go to podchaser.com slash here together to leave a five-star rating. All right. Let's do the checklist. Yeah, the cats are secured. Well, right now, little Gussie's got a scratch on his eye or something. He's mm-hmm. not He's not as secured as he could be. Yeah. But you just fed them, so they're, yeah, all, they're all good with that. Yeah, they're doing okay for the moment. Okay, we'll call that a check. Yeah, tape is rolling. Check. Caffeine at optimal levels. Well, we're recording this in the late afternoon. It is time to stop drinking. Yes. It was it was stop. T- it was time to stop drinking coffee a while ago. Yeah, yeah. If we want to sleep, let's call it a check. Yeah, and the microphones are hot. Check. We are here, here together. together. This is Charles Matthews. And Kelly Robears. And we're here in the home studio with Adam Velturo. Thanks for coming out, Adam. You bet. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's cold out there today. It's a little chilly. A little, yeah. s- a little icy. A little icy too, yeah. Yep. And as we record this, it's the third to the last day of the year and the decade. Right. So we're glad to have you here today as we prepare all of ourselves for for the leap into the the 2020s. 2020, yeah. Inconceivable. Yeah. I know. So a little bit about Adam uh, and how Kelly and I know him. I met Adam when he was my therapist as I was dealing with my quote unquote reasonably well-managed midlife crisis. Right. And I was looking for something and you were in the yellow pages. This was back when- Back in the day. Back in the day. Right. And you're, you're the reason I selected you out of, you know, out of the yellow pages is you said you did men's issues. Right. Which I had, I mean, nobody was talking about men's issues back then. This was 2006 or something like that. No, you were the only, only person I saw talking about that. So it was, it made a huge difference for me and being able to spend that time with you. And and we got to spend some time in the outdoors, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about, the nature therapy and wilderness therapy. And that's, um, yeah, very powerful, really good stuff. And I'm hoping that more people take advantage of that in their lives, take advantage of therapy and take advantage of being in the outdoors. Right. My, my first question for you is just kind of what was, when did you know that the outdoor world or that nature had something to offer you? Right. Well, I kind of had an inkling just based on some of my own experiences growing up with my dad and taking me fishing and camping and, um, and hiking. Um, just felt better out there. I knew that I felt more at peace when I was in nature. And uh, over time, I decided I wanted to be a therapist and got into wilderness therapy. Um, but I was kind of thrown in and I got my graduate degree and I went to my first job up in Utah. It was a 52-day wilderness program. 50, and, 52 days? Yeah, these kids were out there for 52 days. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty pretty intense for all of us. Yeah. Uh, obviously, mostly for the kids. And they came from all over the country. And um, we had a scholarship program uh, for this uh, with the Native American Indian tribe. And I don't remember the tribe. And uh, this was uh, my second group that I had done. And um, I was still trying to figure it out. 
And it was about a week and a half into the program, and this uh, boy, uh, this Native American Indian boy, uh, his father had died from alcoholism, and he had uh, became suicidal and was running away from home. That's why he was there. And he hadn't talked much. It was about a week and a half into the program. We just gave him space. And I was setting up my shelter. This was the phase in the program. We were living off the land. And uh, it was probably about 8 o'clock at night, pretty dark. And he walked over to me, and he asked me a question that took me by surprise. He asked me if I thought he had a soul. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I was a little uh, taken aback. I didn't want to say the wrong thing. It was a real important question. So I sat there for a moment, and uh, what I said to him uh, was, why don't you uh, stare at the stars every night for about five minutes or ten minutes for about a week, and then we'll talk. Uh. Right? And so he kind of just walked away silently. And about four days later, he came up to me. It was a late afternoon after we got in the camp. And he said to me that um, he's been looking at the stars, and he said he felt a burning in his chest. Huh. He said, I believe that's my soul. Huh. And he just walked away. And uh, I was like, wow, he found his soul. Yeah. And um, you know what I learned from that experience was a couple of things. Uh, just the power you know, mm -hmm. of the natural world being a teacher. You know, I didn't really have to say anything. You know, I just, I said something in the beginning, but he did the work and nature did the work. And then also um, what I learned is if I let go of my thinking mind and just connect with my beingness, something will emerge. And I started you know, practicing doing that so I could trust myself and because I noticed my interventions were better mm. if I let go of focusing mostly on my thinking mind and listening to my, my heart and my soul. And so that's uh, the story that I have that just came mm. to mind. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like right off the bat, you either from something you learned in school or or that relationship that you already had with nature, you knew not to tell him something. Right. How, how did you know that? Yeah, because I would have been I would have been one hundred percent to try and make him feel better. I, I'd like to say moment. something yeah. like. Um, I don't know, deep was happening, but I think I was just nervous and didn't want to mess up. Right. And I went with what I knew. And uh, this has something to do with my dad. My dad's into astronomy, and we spent a lot of time um, looking at the stars. I mean, he built telescopes, and he would show me how that process happened. And then we would spend a lot of time looking at the night sky. And I just remember feeling good doing that as a boy. And I still would do that in my own camping and backpacking back then. So I went with what I knew. Nice. Well, uh, what's the word? Well improvised. Thank you. Yeah. 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 yeah no, I feel, I feel proud of that yeah. one, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I mean, he came to you with the deepest, most important question right out there yeah and what i learned as i was i'm having some memories about all this now this is back in 1992 yeah that his father had committed suicide and i think he was trying to grapple with whether his dad still was existing mm. you know mm -hmm. um what i'm remembering about as a therapy progressed with him yeah so that gave him some hope yeah you know, that his dad still existed somewhere for him right and you know what i noticed a lot with kids as i did the mentoring with teenage boys is that they would honor their fathers no matter what their father had done. Correct. And that honoring often was this pull toward replicating what their dad had done. Right. 
and whether it was alcoholism or sure. or, or crime crime or yeah. or Got misogyny it. or whatever, I saw it as a way that when we would talk to these kids and we would ask them about their relationships with their father and they would sense this, I would sense this loss and this desire and this wanting to be close. And even if the dad was in prison or or had committed suicide or had died from an overdose or whatever, right. this desire to be close took I, I call it wanting to honor the dad. Even right. if it's even if it's self-destructive, you, yeah, I agree. With yeah, that. and I'm wondering if that kid was thinking, well, maybe I should die. Yeah, my dad died. Maybe I should die. Right. Maybe yeah. I should. Maybe I don't belong here. Right. My dad didn't belong here. Right. What do you think he got? You said he felt that burning in his chest. But what do you th- what do you think he got, or what what do you get when you look at the the night sky that gives you some solace, some connections, some right? Well, you know, I think part of what happens is that there's so much expansiveness um, that the thinking mind can't really take it all in. Mm. And so what happens is that, you know, if I got a lot of chatter going on, it will go for a little bit, but then eventually it will quiet down. And now I'm back to that beingness, which I think is very important. Mm -hmm. And, um, And then there's just a kind of a calmness and an acceptance there, no matter what's going on in my life when I'm, when I'm doing that. Yeah. Beingness has a different kind of knowing. Yeah, what, what what I believe, you know, the difference between you know doing and being. You know, doing is you know it's more ego based and um, it's action and it's taking initiative in the world, and beingness is just being. And a lot of people think, well, nothing's happening, but what's happening is that you know, you're opening to receive. Mm. You know, at mm-hmm. that point, you're not pushing out exactly, and then also you're open for things to emerge from deeper inside of you, which is real important because we have a wealth of knowledge, I believe, inside of us. You know, the Buddhists call it the being self. You know, different uh, beliefs in the world call it the soul or the higher self. I believe, from my personal experience, uh, that we have that, and that's a real wealth of knowledge. But we have to quiet the mind mm-hmm. in order to kind of receive that information. Mm. And it does it very subtly. Yeah, it reminds me there was a there was an exercise that I did that was recommended by Tom Check when I kind of started this new career about attending to the fear. And writing down everything I was afraid of and attending to logic and writing down everything that logic told me about what I needed to do or what I must not do in this life transition. All of that, not necessarily to do any planning (laughs) based on that, but to get out of, to quiet those voices so that the voice of intuition could come to the fore. And that's that's, what that is. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. And that's, you know, I did that three months ago and I keep returning to the messages that came from my intuition, which is like, you know. The gift is already there. You don't have to work that hard at it. It's fine. Right. You're going to be okay. And I think the problem that's what's happened is we've gotten more uh, detached from nature and view nature differently uh, than we did before we transitioned into the more modern world. Yeah, is that we just created all this clutter and distraction, mm-hmm. and so it's harder to connect with that uh, than I think it's ever been, and uh, which is unfortunate because it's very important. You just said it's it's really important. And that what we've done is a is a that nature is really important. The connection in nature is really important. What do we lose when we're not when we're not connected to that? Well, oh, well, we lose a lot. I mean, in nature as a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, we lose, which I think is very important. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we were living as uh, within nature, it taught us a lot. Um, for example, I mean, we were in you know watching transition. I mean, nature is in transition all the time. You know, the seed becomes the flower. The 
cocoon becomes a butterfly. And we were living within that and witnessing it. Mm-hmm. So I believe that taught us about going with transition mm. better than we do now. Mm. I mean, we're a culture that likes things to stay the same. If you think about, like, for example, the insurance industry, and that's about not having to deal with the impact of a huge transition. Mm. You know, if you crash your car, yeah, it's terrible, but, you know, it's going to get fixed. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that we were able, we are more robust in dealing with transition because of that. Um, also, we had a sense that we belonged oh. uh, with nature when we lived within it. Now that we've separated from it, we don't, you know, we feel like nature belongs to us. And, um, and yeah, we view it almost as kind of an adversary at times, mm-hmm. which is really troubling. In the book uh, Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, I don't know if you've read that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's how, wonderful. You know, yeah. And, you know, how we now we're growing food and we transitioned into that. And so here comes nature to do something with our food. We got to yeah. fight it back. And, it, and the, over ravens, time, the ravens are coming to take yeah, it. Or the, the deer. The even or, the yeah. Deer. yeah, I mean, uh-huh. it's just so we've got to get rid of these things. And then ranching with the wolves and, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you know, and the, yeah. So we started the view that we have to destroy what is uh, hurting our food source. Uh-huh. We're taking our, and back when we lived amongst nature, we weren't. We didn't have to worry about more that. kind of hunter gatherer. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah. We didn't worry about that. I'm not advocating yeah. we should go back to doing that. I can't imagine seven billion people, you know, hunting, going and, back hunting and, and gathering. But there's some values and beliefs that you know we could look at, you know, as he says in the book, and you know that we should have yeah. in our modern culture that would really help. Yeah. So I'm hearing, you know, again, uh, nature helps us shift toward that sense of. Not mindfulness. You, you use a different word. Um, beingness. Beingness. Yeah. Right. Toward a shift toward beingness. Um, that it that it teaches us, especially about transitions and and flows and and patterns, and that it offers a an opportunity for belonging. Right. And that last part really resonates with me. That sense of belonging. I think. I think there's a part of a deep part of me, and maybe it's maybe it's the little kid, maybe it's the little baby that wants to belong to something bigger than myself right that's that's always longing for envelopment even well i mean think about as people were living back then as indigenous cultures just all the contact and connection that was happening yeah you know sleeping in a pile right exactly (laughs) and you know around the fire just you know Mm -hmm. all the contact and the connection you know when Mm -hmm. i run groups at the high school you know the kids seem sometimes amazed how better they feel because they don't really think a lot's happening. Right. But what I explained to them, what you're doing is what I think we were designed to do that right. we got away from, which is to sit together and connect. Yeah. And there's something you know that happens, some sort of neural connection or yeah. energy connection that if we don't do that, you know, we feel a little lost. Yeah. And I think we're a culture that's lost right now because of our disconnection from nature. We're going to take a little break and let everybody ponder that, and we'll be back. Thank you so much for listening to this re-release. Thank you for joining in this celebration of our podiversary. If this particular episode is one that's really got you thinking and feeling want to recommend also checking out episode nine, another oldie but a goodie, diving into the heart of the dragon with Molly McGinn. And it's all about all about her experience studying Zen Buddhism and cultivating her own sense of beingness. Mm. 
good Bo, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And bonus, you get to hear an adventure story about sneaking into Tibet before it was open to outsiders. I know, it's so exciting. I know, I felt very special hearing that story. Mm-hmm. You might also want to listen to episode 19, Healing Others So We Can Heal, with activist and educator Rowdy Duncan. Rowdy talks about the cyclical and reciprocal nature of community inclusion and intergenerational healing. Mm. And it's all about how it's sort of these unexpected results that happen when we think about others, include others, mm-hmm. heal ourselves, they heal us, we heal them. Mm-hmm. I think as Roddy says, the more the better we we are, the more you can be you and the more I can be me mm-hmm. and the better we we I can't I can't quote it exactly. He said it better. He said it better. So that's why you should listen to that episode. Definitely. We'll put links, direct links to both of these episodes in the show notes so they're easy for you to get to. And are you getting burned out on all the bad news and bad behavior in our society these days? We encourage you to check out the Prescott Woman podcast if you want some good news. Each month, we produce a companion audio interview that complements one of the stories in Prescott Woman magazine. The people we interview are all doing great positive work to create and support a healthy, functional community. In recent episodes, you get to hear about a coalition of parents, students, and district staff who are creating a safe, inclusive, and fun space for Native American students in our local schools. A pediatrician who is not only working to introduce holistic, how how you say holistic, modalities to better serve her families, but also braving the slings and arrows because she's out there advocating firmly and clearly for childhood vaccinations. And we also talked to a dedicated team of nature lovers who are working to maintain and improve our local watershed. So we have all kinds of great conversations on Prescott Woman podcast. Also, these feature our friends and neighbors at their best. And these conversations are good medicine for the stress and hopelessness. I know I've been feeling and maybe you've been feeling during these challenging times. And we believe that even though the focus of Prescott Woman magazine and the Prescott Woman podcast are, you know, really local and about Prescott, they will still engage and inspire you no matter where you live. So I encourage you to go to PrescottWomanPodcast.com to listen or even better, subscribe. subscribe. Get some good news in your feed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get back to the interview with Adam Viltero. Yeah. And now we're back with part two, and we're talking about the power of nature and our relationship to it, and what, what, and where the value is for us as individuals and as a as a species, right, in the natural world. And I know Adam, one of the things that you did is uh, work with and get trained with spending lots of time in in deep work with adults. I know you got trained at the Animus Valley Institute and working with, with myth and ritual and mm-hmm. and being even more intentional about working with folks outside. I'm just curious what you got out of that and how that's affecting your work now. Sure. Um, when I started at Animus Valley Institute, the first thing, um, and we knew Bill Plotkin is just the founder of that and he's written yeah. some really cool books. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his books. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, I... He asked me to do a vision quest because I called him and said, I want to do some training. He goes, well, I'd like you to do one of our vision quests to start with. And uh, it was a very powerful experience for me. Um, 
and what I got was more clarity on this this soul, you know, versus ego, mm-hmm. and uh, the communication uh, that takes place between the soul and the ego, mm-hmm. and how the thinking mind's more ego based. Mm-hmm. And the soul speaks in other languages, and the other languages it speaks in is through uh, the window of feelings and uh, sensations and imagination. Mm-hmm. And I really and then symbols, right? Yeah, that's where the imaginators are images, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I really started getting excited about that and getting into it. And I was uh, teaching at Prescott College at the time. And it started affecting, you know, how I was teaching and then how I was doing therapy with the students. Mm. And um, so I didn't didn't really ever frame it that way. I didn't think about like there being a soul connection to the work I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then I started doing even more research and I found out that, you know, uh, you know, psyche, psychology, the word first part psych uh, is, is Greek for soul. Mm. So really, if you take in the purest sense, uh, psychology is the study of the soul mm. and our relationship to it. And then, uh, you know, one thing I was thinking about is the eco-psychology. You, know, you get eco, home, psych, soul, study of. Mm. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, my, when I'm working and teaching eco-psychology, I'm teaching about the soul's home, you know, <sighs> from where we originally came. <sighs> and so it kind of really started um, affecting my work and what I was doing because what I was attempting to do for myself and for the people I was working with and teaching was to help quiet their mind and to start tracking these other ways of knowing, to be more connected with their feelings and, and what their feelings have to tell them and their, their body sensations and the images, self-generated or outside images, mm-hmm. uh, what, the, what that's teaching them because that's you know the language of the soul. And by doing that, they'll probably figure out the answers to their tough life questions like, where am I going and who am I? Mm-hmm. And... Um, so that's that's how that that affected me. Yeah, I totally relate to that because I did a master's in art therapy, and we did a lot of the same thing of um, working with archetypes and symbols and that sort of thing through visual images. A little bit. We didn't do a ton of music, but it works with with any kind of art medium. Um, it's just kind of coming at that place from a slightly different angle. So it makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. If I gave you an example how that might Oh, work yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to see it. Well, you know, for example, um, you know, maybe give somebody an exercise, uh, either if it's from my practice in, in office, mm-hmm. they're into going into nature somewhere on their own, or I've done this when I've taken people on backpacking trips, just to go wander uh, around uh, for a while and look for something that, uh, for example, repels you, mm, right? Wonderful. And, uh, and then the idea is that, you know, to sit with that for a moment and as best you can let go of your thinking mind and just awaken those other three ways of knowing and have a dialogue with whatever you've chosen in nature and just see what emerges, the symbols, you know, the, the feelings that come up, the sensations, mm-hmm. whatever goes on. And, uh, yeah, so that's one of the ways of doing that. So to notice what comes up when you're in front of that that natural object that right. repels you. Right. Yeah, my job as a facilitator is when they come back is to help them process what mm. that means. Not necessarily tell them, but help them listen you know, to their soul, basically, because mm-hmm. their soul really knows why it generated those images, why it brought all that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why those strong feelings right. popped up with that object. You got or, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
I, that's one of the coolest things I think I've learned. And it sounds like I know from talking with Charles about his work with you, um, that idea that you can have a conversation with pretty much anything. And it's, it, it's, if you have a strong feeling or even if you just, it's something that you just notice that you can go into a dialogue with that and get something of value out of it, which sounds like craziness to, you know, a certain paradigm. But once you get into, you know, the world of Joseph Campbell and myth right. and all of that and the subconscious and young and right. it's really fun. And why I think it sounds like craziness to the average uh, person in our culture uh, right now is because of the disconnect from nature. Have we gotten farther and farther from that? Um, that seems a little wacky. Mm -hmm. But back yeah. in the indigenous cultures, that was pretty normal. Yeah. Pretty no I mean, they were what Carl Jung called soul-centric cultures. Yeah. The whole culture was designed around, you know, communicating with that that part of themselves through symbolic mm -hmm. gestures, uh, through ceremonies and dancing and, and things like that. Yeah. And we've gotten away from that. And, that, you know, it makes, it makes me a little sad when you say that. And I know it's true. Mm -hmm. you know, that sounds crazy. You know, it sounds oovy groovy, sounds mm -hmm. healy feely, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know, and it's unfortunately it's gotten a bad rap um, because we're so um, we're so in our heads, we're so into that one way of knowing, mm -hmm. the thinking mind. And not that it doesn't have anything to offer; it's about balance. The thinking right. mind has a lot to offer. All four of those thinking, feeling, sensation, imaginations work in conjunction with each other. You know, mm -hmm. it's just the rest of them have been kind of like pushed to the side, and we're relying too much on our thinking mind. Yeah, definitely. And we're trying to think our way out of this problem, which not going to happen. Right. Because we already know the answers, mm -hmm. actually. We're just not awake to them. Those other channels of knowing are about meaning and purpose. Right. And intellect is less about meaning and purpose. And that's one of the sort of the threads that we talk about a lot of how to have a juicy life that feels worthwhile right. you have to have you have to involve meaning and purpose right and where some people would say is where the meaning and purpose is is in the that deeper self exactly right and if we don't listen to it we kind of just we listen to whatever the narrative it, mm -hmm. narrative is that was presented to us mm -hmm. you know for example you know what charles was saying about the the father is in the boys yeah you know the father is presenting a narrative and mm -hmm. they're watching and, and and they're learning and they're thinking this is the narrative i should live Mm -hmm. And, you know, the whole idea of initiation back in the day was to separate from all that and figure out that you have to choose your own narrative. You can take bits and pieces from the narrative you learn, but you need to choose what it means to you and make sure whatever you learned fits tight with your soul. And if it doesn't, then you're going to be running around not listening to your soul, which is not good because that creates depression, anxiety, addictions, mm. you know, stuff that's really plaguing our culture right now. So you need to find a narrative, not just an identity, but a narrative that fits with your soul. Yeah, I think our stories, you know, generate, you know, our lives, mm -hmm. the stories that we tell ourselves and our culturally or personally. I think that distinction for me right now, the distinction between finding an identity and finding a narrative seems really important. You know, we're so and I think it's maybe it's the difference between an egocentric view of of psychological development and a soul centric view the ego wants an identity wants uh a status cape, a cape, status yeah. right 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 a, a way of i i am who i am kind of kind of uh egotistical well it wants to be perceived in a certain way right right it doesn't right. 
it's not about feeling a certain way. Right. right. What, it, what I think the ego does is the way our egos are enculturated is that we look really outside of ourselves. We're taught that we really don't have the answers. Yeah. The way parenting happens in our culture. I mean, even well-intentioned parents will discount their children's feelings. You know. Yeah. I remember, you know, hearing, I hear all kinds of stories, but you know, of parents really trying to do a good job, you know, but, you know, discounting a child's feelings. But they weren't educated to, uh, to, they were educated by a culture that discounted feelings. Right. So we're having to learn that now. And do you see in your practice any increase in, in parents being able to, to witness and validate their children's feelings? Or is it over, over the course of your practice, is it about the same? It's gotten actually a little worse, unfortunately. Really? Mm. What, I, what I notice, though, is if they're in therapy, uh, they start recognizing their own work, how it's going to be a reflection on how they're now going to parent. Mm. Because instead of pushing those feelings down and imagination, you know, they're, they're starting to realize how important it is and to cultivate that with their children. So if the parents are in therapy, they get that. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's usually they put the kid in therapy. Right. Yeah. And that's always, yeah, that can be hard at times. Yeah. Parents like him fix my child. And, you know, obviously the child has their own issues, but usually, you know, everything, well, not usually, it's a system mm-hmm. and, yeah. and the parents are part of that system. Yeah. Well, it's just like Caesar Milan, you know, it's like the dog is not a bad dog. The people are just not doing it right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Almost always. In, in many parents' defense, I mean, they're doing their narrative, exactly. you know, which is, you know, the idea is just to kind of you're shaping this child to function in the world and you're doing really what your job is. There's a certain narrative out there that's more mm-hmm. ego based and you're doing that and you're really doing the job you're supposed to do technically. But it's very, um, yeah, it's kind of an ep- epidemic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if parents start becoming aware of this this model that we're talking about, you know, they'll start parenting and cultivating their child's connection with their soul and listening to that instead of discounting, which I think mm. goes a long way, especially when they become teenagers and they're trying to figure things out and they're trying to rely more on themselves. Trying to learn how to listen to what their soul is telling them right? instead of what their parents or culture is telling right. them. Right. But because of the narrative they learn, they're usually, you know, listening to friends or, mm-hmm. you know, they're listening to friends who know no more than they do. Right. Well, they're they're all uninitiated yeah. when it comes down to that model. Yeah. And yeah. so they're still more ego-based, not as much soul-based. Yeah. So. And let me you you've mentioned the word initiation a couple of times and I just want to tell the the story my story, our story right. a little bit um kind of for the benefit of the listeners cuz you know one of my core beliefs is that we need to destigmatize therapy and personal growth and deep work for men that men really need to take opportunities to go, you know, be crazy, to go talk to trees, to go talk to right. rocks, to go talk to themselves, to go talk to therapists. Um, and so, as I said in the, in the, in the intro, I, you know, I found you in the, in the phone book and I was going through this, you know, terrible breakup, going through, going through being dumped and left for another guy. And my, professional life was falling apart. I was a teacher, which I'd been most of my life. And I was just finding myself hating it. I wasn't effective with the kids anymore. Everything that I thought I owned, my everything I, everything my ego thought it owned, this woman, this job, this place in the community, all of it was gone. And even before I'd found out about the, the infidelity and the end of my relationship, I was out in the wilderness teaching with kids high school students, normally my sweet spot, normally exactly where I want to be. And I was anxious and 
angry. And every time I would step away from the group to try and calm down or recenter, I would start crying, mm. just crying out in the out in the woods by myself for no, couldn't figure out why. I lost three pair of sunglasses in succession before this trip. And I'm like, okay, okay, what, what do I need to see? What am I not seeing? Right. What is going on? And, and I, I call that the crisis on the Kern. We were backpacking along the Kern River in, in the Southern Sierras. And then the work I did with you initially was just like, I couldn't sleep. That was, that was my chief complaint. Mm-hmm. Couldn't sleep anymore. I was just spinning. But eventually you figured out that I was ready for more than sort of cognitive behavioral therapy and, and ideas about relaxation and how to, right. how to jot down my feelings before going to bed or mm-hmm. do, do sleep hygiene so that I could sleep through the night. How did you know what was how, how, what was that like for you to see that readiness show up in me or in any client? Right. Very exciting because what's happening in Joseph Campbell's hero's journey is, you know, it's happening to all of us. You mm. know? What I like to think of myself as the facilitator of the inevitable <laughs> because it's, it's happening. Right. And um, so you had your calling yeah. and, you know, your life was falling apart Yeah, because you were being called uh, for deeper meaning and uh, something more. That, you know, breaking down a narrative and, and, and come finding your own from a deeper place. So that's you, knew, you knew it was a calling and I came to know it was a calling, but from the outside, it looked like shit. I know. It usually <laughs> does. <laughs> it looked like a mess. <laughs> it looked like a mess. Yeah. It's usually a big mess. Yeah. It looked like everything was failing. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it needs to. I mean, it needs to be a symbolic death mm. of that mm. old way, you mm-hmm. know, and usually we don't go down easy. Mm-hmm. Because that narrative is very strong. Because in our yeah. own way, it's about belonging. We think this is what we need to do to belong, and it's being oh. messed with. And so we're trying to find how to belong again. Yeah. And so, um, and you know, I believe things that I do can be accomplished in the office, mm-hmm. um, but it just happens so much quicker in nature. Mm. You know, I just love that medium um, so much. And, you know, when I did wilderness therapy full time back in the day, yeah. you know, parents would, you know, thank me and my staff. And I'm like, look, you know, we'll take about 10% of the credit yeah. for setting some of the stage, but give your kids most of the credit. And I had them look around where we were yeah. and give this most of the credit, yeah. you know, because it makes our job a lot easier. You ever wonder whether you should be getting paid for that? Because all you did for me, you dragged me out into the out into the woods for eight days, right. charged me money. Yeah, I did. You bought the food. That was great. Um, dragged me down this terrible Chevron gully. Chevron oh, Canyon. <laughs> terrible side gully into Chevron Canyon. And uh, just was like, yeah, go for a walk and go talk to something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you're back. Let's talk about that. Okay, now go for another walk and, and talk right. to something. And now it's time to stop eating and, and go fast. Spend some time. And then the next phase is your ordeal. Yeah. Right. Facing yeah. yourself alone. And then dealing with the ego's, you know, challenges in that because the ego is going to yeah. try to stop the change from happening. It's because it's so ingrained. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I signed up for that. I paid the money. I agreed to that. Right. I prepared for it. And every, um, every step, you know, the, the, the challenge, the, the, the threshold of, of stepping over, I don't know how many freaking logs in that, in yeah, that, that was a tough draw. Run. <laughs> um, and even when we were there. You know, every time you'd send me out for a, a day walk, I would just, God, I just didn't want to be out there. I'd, I'd get really sleepy. And, you know, now in retrospect, I know when I say the I, the I that wanted that wanted to sleep, that wanted to not have an encounter, not have an experience was the, was the ego that wanted to right. stay 
exactly the same. Yep. That wanted to stay in in relationship with the old the old life, the old way of being. Yeah, and also I want to be real clear because sometimes when I start talking like this with some yeah. of my clients, they think I feel like the ego is a bad thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's just the things that the ego learned. Yeah, is not useful. Yeah, uh, there needs to be a relationship between the ego and the soul. You know, um, I like to. I'm a, I'm a closet nerd. Um, my metaphor is from. Uh, you're welcome here. Yeah, nerds, we are open you're, you're nerds. In a, you're yes, in a, we are I know. out nerds. I know. Thank you. That's my. <laughs> that's why I feel safe. Yeah. Good. So, um, Star Trek: Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Right. If you look at Captain Picard, mm-hmm. um, I believe he was like the soul of the ship mm-hmm. because the soul is essence inside of us. It doesn't interact with the everyday world. It doesn't really talk to us directly. It does it all through symbolic metaphor, through the feelings and all that, and then. And if you looked at like number one uh, in uh, that in that show, number one was like the ego of the ship because Captain Picard would say, you know, we got to get you know to this planet in three days, make it so number one. And number one would interact with the ship and do the things he needed to do, and all yeah. the other people would too. And Captain Picard didn't do a lot. And I feel like that's kind of the way it works that the ego sends up. I mean, the soul sends up messages to ego and says, make it so. Yeah. Now, if I'm denying that anxiety, depression, addictions, because I'm not living my truth. If I learn to start living it, now my ego is in a better space because now it's listening to me, not what other people are telling me. Not that they shouldn't be taken into consideration. If someone gives me a suggestion, you know, the idea is I check, you know, deep with my soul before I make any decisions. Hmm. And that's what I, I I try to practice. I don't do it perfectly. You know. Yeah. The ego's got a job. It's got a job. But the problem is when it takes over and tries right. to be the heart of the thing. It's right. like it's middle management. Right. What's well, this? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, <laughs> right. And, and, and the information it's given is bad management. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the things, if you think about, you know, that I learned Animus Valley and just through my own experience is that we're, the ego is a very ascension style. It looks outside of itself, it looks up to the sky you know, Mm. for answers, because we're taught through our, you know, religion that's mostly Mm -hmm. prevalent in our culture to look up. And uh, really, it's kind of an inward job. It should be kind of a descension kind of thing to really find that out. And I think that's why our lives fall apart, because eventually Mm -hmm. that needs to happen for us to descend, you know, into like the ashes of ourselves. You know, if you look at the phoenix, then we'll be, you know, reborn. Yeah, my my ego at that time was ticking off all of the boxes. Relationship, right. building community, career, degree from a prominent institution. Right. Check, 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 check. Yep. Had it all. Right. Had it all. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are walking around like that, and that's where the midlife crisis comes from, because yeah. then the soul knocks on the door and goes, hey, you know, you weren't listening yeah. well enough. Yeah. You know, so now it's time. Yeah. And some people refuse that. You know, and they yep. they plow ahead, and you know they get on the antidepressants, and I don't have anything ultimately against those. I just yeah. think they're overused at times when people are in this type of crisis, and if they really did some deep work, they would get themselves into a real better play, yeah. better place. So some of that deep work can happen in the office. Oh, for sure. And but what you're saying is it it happens out in the wilderness more quickly. There, yeah, there are more symbols. There's more, there's less ego out there. There's Well, what happens, I think the ego is challenged more in uh, that environment, especially if a person hasn't spent a lot of time in nature. I mean, just hiking down that canyon, your ego is <laughs> kicking and screaming, right? I mean, that, that's happening, right? Mm-hmm. And so my job is to facilitate 
them through their resistances. That's part of my gestalt training, you know, to help resist a uh, work a person through that work. You help mm-hmm. you work through that in order for more of a letting go so that other stuff can emerge. So you don't get caught up in the battle right. between the ego and the, the resistance and the letting go and all of that. Like you don't stay stuck there. Right. You can move through that. You got it. And some people, even they go in these experiences, will stay stuck for a while still. It's not like, you know, you had a great experience. I've taken yeah. people out where they're at war with their ego and during their solo, they spend four days fasting at war with their ego. You know, and they may get a kernel here and a kernel here, but ultimately that's, yeah. their ego is really strong yeah. in their narrative. So my ego was fortunately weak. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well no, to be honest with you, the work we did beforehand, I've taken people yeah. out that have called me and we just have gone out and mm-hmm. I didn't know them very well. You, I got to know intimately and we yeah. were working on that in the office. Yeah. Because there's a lot of work that can be done yeah. in, in that environment. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, about still going deeper into the self, doing yeah. deep imagery work, doing gestalt pieces of work and to really challenge beliefs and yeah, so that was that was uh, that eight days. Like you said, we we had done work up to that, but that eight days marks a really clear beginning of the of the rest of my life. Right, and that the things that came out of there, I can look back at those journals and see the intentions that I set. You know, after doing the four day fast and after letting my my ego symbolically die and be reborn, I can look back at those journals and be like, oh, now now I have a different set of checklists, check marks that I can that I can check off. Yes, I am living more intentionally more in line with what my soul wants you know it's sort of ironic it's like i'm i'm ended up back in in education and teaching back in outdoor leadership all of the things back in in relationship and all of the things that got yanked away from me in order for me to lose the ego enough to be more connection with the soul all of them have been kind of given back to me in a in a richer and better way right right well, let's actually take a moment to have another break. I hope you're finding this as fascinating as we are, and we'll be right back. Every week, you can access all sorts of great info on our guests' background and take a deeper dive into our topics in the show notes. This week, you'll find a curated book list, including links to Ishmael, which was awesome. If you haven't read it, please do. It was wonderful. Uh, Contact information for Adam's practice, links to similar episodes, and a transcript of the Whitman poem he's going to read. That's great. You can always find the latest show notes at here-together.us slash pod or go to here-together.us slash library for show notes from our full catalog of episodes. There are 90 of them now. I know. It's so exciting. And let's talk science. Science. Yeah. Every week we get a science assignment from our guests, something for us to try on, something for us to experiment with over the course of the week to see if it changes our lives. Adam gives us a really, really beautiful, succinct, absolutely attainable. Simple, doable, pleasurable. Deeply Mm. changeable. Changeable? Is that a word? Anyway, he gives us a good one. And (laughs) uh, every week we review and kind of report back on the science assignment from the previous week. We do that on Facebook Live in our Here Together Community Lab Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Search for that group on Facebook or follow the link in the show notes and be sure to join us there every Sunday morning at around 9.30. 9.30. Okay, now back to wrap up the show, get inspired by Adam's science assignment and get that bonus poetry reading. 
we're back talking about deep ecology, soul, ego, little little things. Nothing, yeah. Nothing, nothing trivial. Big. Yeah, not too stuff. deep. Not too deep. No. <laughs> no, we like diving in. We don't like the surface very much. Right. What was the no no chit chat? No chit chat. T-shirt. Yeah. T-shirt. Well, T-shirt. Like the way I like to put it, why be snorkelers? You know, why not, why not be deep sea divers? Yeah. What do you, I mean, you get you nice. get some views of things, but you don't. Of course, then you got to deal with some deep fears, and that's for sure. But then, what the outcome of that is is the gifts that you get from doing that is really awesome. This guy, this guy belongs on this podcast. We're just over here right? riffing, and he's like got this metaphor of deep mm-hmm. sea diving and snorkeling and sharks in our unconscious, right. scaring us. Yeah. yeah, they're not yeah. really that scary when you face them, though. Right. Have right. you learned you learn that? Yeah. 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 We were talking when we interviewed Tom Check, uh, like episode four or five or something, we were talking about how the the ego makes up all of these stories about right. what's in the dark. And Kelly was asking kind of like, you know, do you find clients who don't want to don't want to go there because of all of the and you were kind of relating your own experience of, mm. of therapy, right? Like being afraid that you would find something. Right. And every time I would get to that place and it was never anything, you right. know, like peeling a particular onion of fear right. down to the core and there's nothing there. Right. But the, that foreboding that sense of dread that it's going to be some terrible secret that I can't handle that blows me up and you know yeah, it's a fear of the unknown yeah that we really all struggle with and the, well, the, for me there's a fear that I'm a, sh- a terrible terrible person mm-hmm. right that I'm just awful right and that I shouldn't be around and that was actually one of the one of the truths that I got dis- disabused of in talking to a I was talking to a rock I was it was a mm-hmm. crazy thing right it was a beautiful thing I, you sent me out to go find something to talk to and I ended up talking to what I now call Uncle Rock and told him my deepest truth at that time my deepest truth turned out I had no idea this is what I thought or believed or felt right no idea but what came out because I'd been so altered by this process of getting to this place already, even before fasting, being in this canyon in this unfamiliar place, what came up was that I believed that I didn't deserve to live. Right. And that my people, my culture, my species didn't deserve to live. I was so full of despair right. and judgment and anger at what we have done to ourselves and each other. What I have done, all the mistakes that I have made throughout the course of my, my life, all the terrible things I've done, and what Uncle Rock, or or the part of me that, that is Uncle Rock, the part of me that knows deeply, the soul, mm-hmm. I got a real clear message that that judgment was beyond my pay grade. Right. Mm. I do not get to decide whether I deserve to live. And I don't know if that's a similar experience that that, that, that young Native American kid had. Possibly, right? Yeah looking up at the stars like oh there's a there's a place mm-hmm. i belong here right i belong here and that message getting that message from from uncle rock from within me from soul from from the great beyond whatever wherever that came from has been incredibly sustaining for me yeah that's really powerful because you know then if we learn that we're part of all this instead yeah. of separated from it you know we'll take care of it better Right. 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 And we'll go to it more often and appreciate it more. Yeah. You know, people are in our culture, the narrative about nature is they're afraid of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's out there to harm us. Right. You know, and there's unknown out there. I feel safer in nature than anywhere else, you know? <laughs> yeah, honestly. Right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably, that's probably entirely correct and sensible. So let me ask, I, you two are both outdoorsy guys and I'm an indoor cat. 
I always seem to almost always enjoy it when I wind up going outside, but it's never my idea. It's never my tendency. And we were checking the demographics. Now we've got enough listens to start to get a picture of our audience. And at least one slice of it suggests that a lot of the listeners are, are adult women and I'm guessing some of those are robust outdoorsy types. I know a lot of outdoorsy women, but there are a lot of us who are indoor cats. Um, Do you have any thoughts or suggestions for people like me? You mean as far as connecting with the natural world? Yeah, that, that it just... I always get something out of it, but it doesn't... Where I flourish is inside. Right. But so, I know I need it. Right. Right. No, I get that. You know, I, what I would suggest is there's, there's there's this inner nature, you know, this wildness inside of us. Just do some deep imagery work, you know. Mm. So we can virtually be in the outdoors? For sure. I don't oh, know. I don't I think love- ego knows the difference between imagination and what something's really happening, to be honest. Yeah. It's been my experience. So you can imagine yourself in the backcountry of the Grand Canyon or laying on a beach with the ocean mm-hmm. coming in and, and, and get a lot out of that. You know, and you know, you got a backyard, you go you can sit and talk mm-hmm. to the tree back there. So just to do nature to the degree that we feel Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, just you know, I don't know where I read this, but there was a mom that had read that book, um, Lost in the Last Child in the Woods. Yeah. Uh, mm. by Richard Louvre, is I think is his yeah. name. Yeah. And, you know, she was talking about how they were in New York City and how she had found this little parky thing beside a church. And she brought her child, when she read that book, she brought her child there every day if she could just to interact with the trees and the grass, you know, and I I think that can be enough. Nice. You know, I just, I really believe that it's all around us. It's just a matter of we have to put our intention into it. It just sounds like we need to be willing to connect. Right. I think there is some fear around a connection in Mm -hmm. our culture. You know, mm. and I think that's, and then that's the problem with all these screens and texting because we get this illusion that we are connecting, but the quality of the connection is 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 like two dimensional, mm-hmm. even one dimensional at times, and so we're we're suffering from that. And uh, I hope we figure it out sooner than later because things are going to be a lot better. Not that it's bad to be on screens; I'm on mm-hmm. mine, but just to do it more in balance because we know mm-hmm. the damage that's being done if we're separating ourselves too much and just focusing on that. You know one to two dimensional uh, space. And, and that's something you said in your bio describing that your work is informed by paying attention to the quality of the connection that your clients, the folks you work with, the quality of their connection to the natural world. And right. I'm just kind of curious, are you seeing changes in that connection or, or how does that affect the work that they're able to do in the office with you? Or what does it mean for you to be paying attention to that? Um, it's, 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 I don't want to put this, it's kind of like, I believe like my calling. Mm. And so regardless if I'm taking someone on a, you know, eight, nine day backpacking trip, mm-hmm. Or if I'm in my office, I think that that's at the core of why we're struggling mm. as a culture and individually, and it needs to be brought into the mix. You know, even if it's simple, I have this woman who's having panic attacks, mm-hmm. and uh, I asked if she can find a place where she could just take her shoes off and walk on the grass, and mm. she's having a panic attack, and she was able to do that, and she was amazed and surprised that her panic attack would go away. Wow. And I just think mm. just the being able to ground with the earth, you know, mm-hmm. and I've seen that over and over. I use that intervention a lot, by the way, with people with a lot of anxiety. Yeah. It just really, I think that our, our 
you know, whatever people call it, the great forgetting, the disconnect has mm-hmm. really, you know, rocked us. I mean, you can see the, the symptoms and we've only been disconnected for, it started 10,000 years ago and it's just gotten more and more, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, and our culture is struggling more and more. And I believe if we were more earth-based culture, even within our technology, mm-hmm. that we'd be less depressed and anxious to be less addictions. And there's ways of doing that. It just some of these companies would have to make decisions and how mm-hmm. they make decisions about the earth and if mm-hmm. it became, you know, had more of a value that the, you know, the earth, we belong to the earth or, you yeah. know, a web in the, you know, we're a strand in the web of life, not, you know, just some, we have some dominion over the web of life. And that, that connects to one of our themes, which is this community weaver theme for this podcast. And one of the reasons we asked you on this podcast is just that idea that community can be beyond needs to be beyond the human community right. some mm, folks call it the mm-hmm. more than human community or the the extra human community that we're all that that is part of our community yeah for sure and that and you speak that yeah, we view it as separate that's part of the yeah the pathology of that because we're not yeah. we've only been separated for about started about ten thousand years ago we right. were as we know in the book ishmael for two and a half million years yeah living within nature yeah and it's it yeah if you can see how yeah, we haven't we haven't we haven't evolved beyond that. We there hasn't yeah. been enough time for evolution to to make us techno human. Yeah, we're still the same physical creatures yeah. that we were yeah. ten thousand years ago. Yeah. Same physical, same spiritual, same soul right. creatures. Yeah, and we're suffering because we're not doing certain things that I believe we were designed to do. Right. Yeah, the thing <laughs> is, we have we have all this. You know, we have a lot of good things in our society, and we have all these ills, mm-hmm. and there the solutions are there. You know, but I think we're kind of taught by the narrative that we're still looking for the solution Uh and it it keeps Uh us stuck. And I think it's in the narrative for whatever reason, you know, but the answers are... Yeah, always seeking. Yeah, like we're supposed to find something else, you know, because we're rejecting, you know, the information that's that's got it. So I'm curious, Adam, what practices you do that you can identify? I'm sure you, you do all sorts of things for yourself to stay connected to nature and right. to stay connected to your soul and let your soul express itself. Are there, you know, a few that, that you could share with the listeners of things that you do pretty regularly? Sure. Well, meditation okay. is one of them. So I think that's a really good way of quieting the mind and letting other things emerge and creating more of a, a beingness state of being, if I can say it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, also going into nature, um, hiking, or just going downtown and sitting under a tree or going in my backyard. And I have this alert on my phone that goes off every night at eight o'clock and says, look at the stars. Nice. And I go out and I look at the stars as best I can. I don't do it religiously, but I do it pretty frequently. You know, it's just important. Yeah, that, that moment with that uh, Native American boy really impacted me, I'm realizing. As we're talking about, I'm glad yeah. we're having this conversation. You think there's a thread between that experience and you, you setting oh, yeah. that alert on your phone? Yeah. Oh, you know, it's been, this was 1992. I can't do the math. That's 28 years ago. Am I doing it right? Thereabouts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I can imagine that that connects you with the best part of your father as well. You bet. I mean, my, of course, my dad made his mistakes. All fathers do. But the, the best gift he gave me, I'm getting a little emotional here, mm, is, yeah. um, is that connection with the natural world. Um, he took me you know, camping and fishing and showed me the stars. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to talk to him about yeah. I think he needs to know that. I think I have shared it in some ways, but not as directly as that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're really grateful for him. Oh, absolutely. For that. Yeah. For sure. That's a huge gift. 
Yeah. Brings me to one of the things I was going to talk about, but I'll do yeah. it now, is that, yeah. you know, my parents divorced when I was 11, and, and uh, it was very tumultuous. And what I would do is go to this oak tree hmm. that was actually in my neighbor's yard, and i climb up into it and just kind of stare at the blue sky. And, you know, I knew it was going to be okay, you know. So yeah. that started, I think, with what my dad had already done. I realized that, you know, when things are bad, you know, just go to nature. And some answer will come or some comfort will come. Some solace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I still go back to that house sometime and look at the tree. It's still alive. Yay. It's a big oak tree. Yeah. No, I, I, I can think of, uh, you know, multiple trees in my life mm-hmm. that um, I've had relationships with. And I think that's one of the things that I hope we can all do as individuals and, and as a species is, is redraw that circle of community back around to include the trees, to include yeah. the animals, mm-hmm. to include the sky. And I, I'm really happy with the example that we're seeing here in Prescott of the community rising up to protect the granitelles. One of the, this is kind of the granitelles for those who don't know is this, kind of interurban wild area and it's like and it's the bones of the earth sticking up sticking mm-hmm. up through these right. beautiful granite boulders and the developer wants to build houses among those boulders mm. you know and i just talked about having all these trees as friends but my, the rocks are my friends yeah those rocks especially those rocks especially yeah. Any, anybody could be friends with those rocks yeah, yeah. And I need them to be okay. I need my friends to be okay. So I'm really, really grateful for the, the Save the Dells folks. Yeah, well, me too. And the thing that happens around here, and it's probably happening all over, is they plow up a piece of land and then name it for the animal, name the housing division for the animal that they have displaced. Antelope Hills. Yeah, prong, huh, Pronghorn Ranch and, you know, all of these things. Yep. And it's, you know, it hurts my heart. Right. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. And I guess we just have to go through this for right now to realize it doesn't work. We haven't gotten it yet. I don't mm-hmm. know what it's going to take like collectively to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get there eventually. Yeah, the truth is the truth, right? The mm. truth is the truth. And that's, yeah. Go ahead and finish. You were saying. Oh, I did, yeah. I didn't have anything more to yeah. say about that. <laughs> that's, the truth is the truth. <laughs> that's it. Full stop. Yeah. But, and that's, you know, that's what this podcast is about. And that's what these conversations are about is spreading that around some more and it, i have something to say about yeah, the truth is just yeah. be able to splice this yeah, thing. Totally. yeah what i wanted to say if you just look at what the earth is doing you know it's slowly kind of turning on us a little bit mm-hmm. it's letting us know you know um yeah if we want to know if god is speaking you know that to me god speaks you know through what's happening on the earth right you know and uh we're not we're, the truth is we're not listening well enough yeah or we're denying because the ego wants to keep that narrative going what we've been doing uh, but it's going to eventually come down to the earth is going to keep doing what it's doing and we're going to have to do something different eventually right so that's yeah the truth is the truth we're going to have to do something eventually yeah. whether and we have a choice now whether or not it's really difficult and really painful or just difficult and painful. Right. Yeah. Right. And actually we, we got to listen to uh, a great podcast with, um, I'm going to blank his name, the Australian engineer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't remember we'll, it either, we'll but it, he was We'll awesome. put it in the show notes and y'all should listen to it. But he's basically saying very similar to what you said. We already know 
what to do technologically. You're talking about, mm-hmm. you're talking about, we already know what to do for our souls and, and how to engage. We, it's not a lost technology. We know what to do. Yeah. Right? We're not searching for the answer. Yeah. The answer already exists. The answer already exists within us. And the answer already exists in the engineering space of just like rooftop solar everywhere and wind it. farms everywhere. And, right. you know, redefine the laws and the, and the, and the electric grid. And we could, we could be fine and not just, fine and like okay well i guess i have to watch television on a little tiny screen and you know run my refrigerator off of a bicycle yeah off of a bicycle but (laughs) we could we could have a beautiful wonderful life for Mm -hmm. seven billion people on the planet right right now if we put our and not not hurt the planet and not hurt the planet yeah we can do it we could do it all we could do it all (laughs) yeah we really could yeah and I, i i'm just really buoyed up by that knowledge that it's that it's within our grasp and i feel a lot of anxiety that we seem to be willing to let it slip away right. which would be the great tragedy but the more people who listen to their souls or go deep and will find that answer because it's just one of the cardinal truths yeah uh, that they'll come up with because it's just what it is yeah and what is it about listening to the soul do you think that makes us able to endure that truth and and make the changes really good question i'm not quite sure i have an answer to charles well let me because i because i think i think i have an answer like when i'm when I'm, yeah i'll see yeah i'll see we'll see i think when i'm connected to my soul my soul is it's way bigger than my ego for sure and it's got a longer lifetime it's timeless it's, it's yeah. timeless and it is way more capable my ego cannot handle grief my ego barely handles anger right my ego barely handles love. My ego barely handles being in connection with somebody because that's so freaking scary. Right. My soul's got all of that covered. Right. Grief, got it. Joy, more. Right. Connection, yes. Mm-hmm. Let's have a lot of connection. Um, and all of those, I believe, and this is kind of Joanna Macy talks about this, that in order for us to engage with the problems that we have as a culture, everything from racism, misogyny, climate crisis, all of it, polarization, we have to be able to grieve. Right. And my ego is deathly afraid of grieving. You got it. Because grief feels like death. Right. My soul is not afraid of grieving. And one of the, one of the ways I know that is, um, I think it was probably while I was seeing you and while I was undergoing the reasonably well-managed midlife crisis, I was in my closet putting away shirts and it was, you know, it was a shirt that that woman had given me my, my breakup, my betrayer. And I, I say betrayer in kind of the, the holy betrayer sense. We need somebody mm-hmm. to, to, to mess us up so that we can move on. And that just the knowing, I don't know. Anyway, I just f- literally fell to me. I was floored by grief. I fell down in the closet and curled up in a ball on the floor and was keening and making sounds that I had never heard come out of me before. Mm. And as I lay there, a part of me, I heard very distinctly say, good, good, mm. good. Right. Now you are human. Mm. Now you are real. I was like, okay, this is what being full means. This is what being strong means. Right. And, and the grief brought you there. Absolutely. You know, every, Absolutely. Our tendency is to avoid grief Yeah. in our culture. And it's, you know, it's kind of a, it's like gold grief because mm. what comes of it. Right. And one thing I want to say about grief also is that I feel like because of our disconnect from nature, we're we're grieving that and we're not even aware of it, Um, that there's this deep grief going on uh, because uh, there's a part of us that knows we need to be, but yet we're not. 
And so, of course, you know, we've got to move away from that, you know, and so that's what we do. We create all these distractions and we move quickly, you know, and I, the way I say it, if, if I'm moving fast, what am I running from? Mm. You know, mm. I really need to stop for a moment and turn around and see exactly what I'm what I'm running from. Should I be running from it? And if not, maybe stop and let it envelop me or whatever is there. Because it's usually just a bunch of memories and feelings, mm-hmm. usually. Yeah. It's that fear onion again. Right. You got it. The way I put it is if you look at the word avoidance and you separate out, it's avoid dance. Oh, when you, wow. It's to create like a, a dance around the void and we mm. create all these distractions and all that. But then we're going to develop a crisis eventually because that's just real all ego-based and uh, the soul eventually is going to do something. Something's going to happen. Yeah. But the question is, are we just going to try to find another distraction? Or are we going to allow ourselves to, to jump into the void and face our fears and face our grief? And, and um, you know, when I work with people, a lot of people are resistant to that because they've been trying to figure it out and they, they want to find a way to do it without having to go in. You know, my job is to kind of educate them that, you know, we, we've tried everything. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should give this a shot and see what happens, you know. And uh, and if they do it, they usually get a good outcome. It's not no mm-hmm. guarantee, but, you know, it's yeah. time tested. Yeah. We can't handle it. We're built to handle it. Right. Yeah. That's Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's those soul-centric cultures, they, they grieved mm-hmm. big. Yeah. yeah. That's part of what they did. Um, and when they went through a transition, uh, that was part of the belief. Our belief is, you know forget about it you know mm-hmm. move on mm-hmm. you know and um so that's another value we probably were going to need to change mm-hmm. yeah and i you know, i think one of the things that i've come to believe is that healing takes place in community and with a witness absolutely and i you know going to therapy was one way for me to do that um going out into the into the wild and having tens of thousands of of non-human witnesses around me god it's just Mm. I just feel so. I, even now, I just feel this gratitude welling up for for those ponderosa pine trees and those rocks and, right. and the fir trees being there for me. Which sounds crazy, right? It's like he's talking to trees, but it was so healing to be surrounded by witnesses, and then that gave me more capacity to be in community with humans, right? And to be open and vulnerable in front of them. It was almost like kind of like testing how to mm-hmm. be how to be full and complete in front of people. And I tested it on on ponderosas first. The, the ponderosa people. The ponderosa mm-hmm. people, absolutely, yeah. I, and I, they're not judgmental. No, they mostly have some opinions. I had some, there were some stern aunties out there. Right. Some stern, nice. I mean, and just like get it together, Matthews. You're being closed. You know, wake up, open your eyes. I don't know if that's maybe that's not judgmental. Maybe that's just a little directive. Tough love. It's a little tough love from a those love from, from those big aunties. Yeah. Right. Anyway, just the. My experience since then has been that um, I am more able to be vulnerable, open, complete, uh, guard down, soul forward with humans who are right. way freaking scarier than ponderosa pine mm-hmm. trees, way more judgmental than ponderosa pine mm-hmm. trees. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was part of my my healing because I needed to be in community, in particular with men. I had so many fears around being friends and community with men. I'm having an awareness as you're talking. I spent a lot of time, especially during that time, my parents were divorcing and um, in my backyard. Yeah, when you, were, when you were 11. And how I was you know, crying out there and how I just felt really safe. And I think that gave, saved me. 
basically, because it still had me doing what I needed to do, even though I was afraid to tell a friend at school what was going yeah. on or talk to my mom and dad about what was going on. I was doing it somewhere. So yeah. I was doing the model I needed to do. And so it was probably a little easier when I was finally in my uh, late teens, early 20s, when I got into therapy, was to do the work I needed to do because I was modeling it with the trees and the ducks and the, and the yeah. birds. And Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So we learned something. Yeah. <laughs> About myself another way. Right. Yeah. So we had, it sounds like we both had some experience where we, where we had to kind of try out some relationship with, right. with the natural world right. in order to, in order to, to heal and grow and then, and then bring it into the human world. Right. Yeah. And then learn to pick and choose who these safe people are to really open up to. I mean, that's a skill in of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they're there. They're out there. They're there. Just three sitting right here. Ah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of which, you've got a new project. Oh, yeah. It's in the, it's in the infant stage. Yeah, yeah. What's, tell us about that project. Well, I, I want to um, do more soul work. And I feel like um, doing it from a personal coach stance uh, frees me up more. Uh-huh. Um, so I decided that what I'm going to do is um, have it in uh, complementing my clinical practice. Uh-huh. And people can make a choice whether they want to do clinical work uh, and they may need to based on whatever they're dealing with mm-hmm. or if doing personal coaching, uh, the soul coherence would be better for them to do. Great. Yeah. So um, it's a lot of what I already do uh, without worrying about the clinical piece and bringing that into into play. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got to figure it all out. I have a practitioner in California that's a clinical social worker that does both. I'm going to be picking her brain, how she's able to do both, separate it out. And so that's what I'm working on right now before I build the web page and um, all that. Yeah. So what does soul coherence mean? Um, just what we've been talking mm-hmm. about, like living in coherence with your soul, mm-hmm. you know, having uh, the skills and learning the skill set uh, to uh, to listen to it. Great. And then living from that place. Because I noticed with myself and the people I work with, I see it in the work that when people do that, whatever they're struggling with seems to fall away. They seem to become more resilient to deal with, mm. you know, tragedies because we all have them in our life. They don't mm-hmm. go away. They're coming. They're coming. It's a matter of how we're gonna how we're gonna deal with it. And if we're in that model and then really connected with our deeper self, we can get through it a lot quicker. Learn what it has to teach us, and then move on, as opposed to staying stuck and trying to create some distraction and illusion. And I'm not caring that way. Uh, people who aren't real connected to that part um, don't empathize very well. And we'll make decisions that are destructive for the culture, for the animals, for the children. Yeah. And those decisions are being made every day. And that's things partly why we're struggling. But what I believe is we're we're seeing, you know, the symptoms of the narrative not working really big time. And I think that's why yeah. it's it's getting so amplified right now. When we're losing something, we do it a lot faster and a lot quicker. Yeah. And we're we're just doing it. Eventually it's gonna be like, ah. Oh, yeah. You know, and then it's got to be this really big letting go and then say, okay, so now how do we integrate what we've been doing with something that actually is sustainable? And I believe we're going to get there. I awesome. really do. Awesome. Um, I just wonder what's going to happen to get us there. Yeah. It's reason to hope. Us. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we always ask the guests to give a, a prescription or a homework, something for the audience to 
experiment with and see if it makes a positive difference in their lives. Sure. Well, I, what I'd like to do is just come full circle with how he started. Um, I and I because I'm still practicing, and I found it to be very powerful. Just to basically go out and look at the stars mm. as much as you can, perfect like every night, and even if it's for two minutes, just to acknowledge your place in the world and that connection. And yeah. Oh, yeah. that's a good one. Like yeah. That one? Yeah. So uh, I wanted to uh, read you this poem. When I first read it, um, it really meant a lot to me. I still read it from time to time. It's Walt Whitman, mm. and it's called When I Heard the Learned Astronomer. Mm. When I heard the learned astronomer, when the proofs, the figures were arranged in columns before me, when I was shown the charts and diagrams to add, divide, and measure them, when I, sitting, heard the astronomer, where he lectured with much applause in the lecture room, how soon unaccountable I became, tired and sick, till rising and gliding out, I wandered off by myself in the mystical moist night air and from time to time looked up in perfect silence at the stars. Adam, you've been a perfect mm. podcast guest. Thank you for that poem. Thank you for coming out on a cold day. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Great. everybody that's it for this reissued episode of the here together podcast thank you for joining us on this trip down memory lane down down good feeling lane we hope you feel something a little different and a little deeper after listening to that interview we'd love to hear your reaction to this kind of content our belief is that there are hundreds and thousands and millions of people out there in the world craving this kind of conversation about things that really matter I sure hope so. I mean, how can they not? Um, I know that's a rhetorical. That's a rhetorical Let's question. Let's just leave yeah. it at Let's that. Let's not that. dive into how they why can't. people might not want to. But we want to put out a call to action, not but, and we want to put out a call to action for those of you who've been enjoying this podcast. Is there somebody in your life, in your community, whether in Arizona or far from here, who would connect with this content? If so, would you give them a quick email with the link to the show? Or use that share button on your podcast player. It's so easy. Imagine sending the link with a note saying, hey, person, <laughs> auntie, uncle, best friend, person I haven't spoken to in a long time, colleague, nephew, colleague. this interview moved me or intrigued me or, or maybe it pissed you off. And I'd love to talk after you listen to it. What would that be like? Maybe your friendship will deepen. Maybe you'll find new places of connection. Maybe you'll get over the awkward silence that sometimes mm. descends between two human beings. Duh. We can keep this conversation going about what it'll take to depolarize our communities, make them more sustainable, and make them thrivable for the 21st century. Yeah, and we'll do it together because that's how we do it at HTP. Absolutely, anyway. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we'll be releasing a new interview with integration coach Tanya Keats. Tanya is a fired up, energetic and inspiring coach who uses really unique and experiential ways to get her clients unstuck and unstoppable. And I'm excited because I signed up to work with her. <laughs> you know, one of her techniques actually involves jumping out of airplanes. I know, right? And another thing that's really unique about next week's interview is that Charles walked out in the middle of it. Yeah, that wasn't. Yeah, 
I had a little meltdown. Um, but I came back. Mm-hmm. And Tanya actually helped us work through it, through my meltdown in the moment and set us up for a really loving and, and fruitful discussion once once the recorder was off. Yeah, we are leaving the meltdown in the podcast. To teach me a lesson. No. <laughs> no, we're leaving it in because, you know, that's what we do. We're authentic with you, our listeners, and we think there's value in that honesty in hearing the bumps and squeaks in our relationship and sharing how we recover from them, how we cope and process and deal and heal and love. I like all those words. But that's right. Yes, to the Here Together podcast. Emotional voyeurs, welcome. Right. Subscribe today. (laughs) But really, remember to invite a friend. Follow us on Instagram at rocketfeather1. Join us in the Here Together Community Lab on Facebook. If you want to contribute to the conversation, we would love it if you do. Uh, Meet other like-minded hotties and stay connected to all these juicy ideas. Remember to subscribe using the button on your podcast app or go to here-together.us slash join to get quick email notifications when a new episode drops. And you can do both. You can subscribe Mm -hmm. and get the newsletter. That's fine. Do all the things. Yep. This is Charles Matthews and Kelly Robert wishing you the firm support of nature's wisdom. We We love love you. you. The Here Together podcast is a project of Rocket Feather Creative. Mm -hmm.